All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Issue for all women. Hello and welcome to the first Standard Issue podcast. We've had an absolute blast as an online magazine for women for the past two and a half years, and now we are firmly ensconcing ourselves in your ears. It's going to be smashing, like when you use a cotton bud to really probe the depths, even though you know it's medically reckless. I'm Mickey Noonan, and I have nearly drowned twice, but I have never actually drowned. I'm joined by. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I got the highest grade of any child in Bedfordshire in GCSE RE, and I don't even like Jesus. I'm Jen Offord, and I've tried all the Olympic sports apart from Greco-Roman wrestling, which is a discipline in which women do not compete. Later on, I'm chatting to our founder, Sarah Milliken, about why Standard Issue exists and why we are now a podcast. I'll be talking to our film buff, Yosra Osman, about black cinema in 2017. And I'll be telling you what to look out for in women's sport this summer. We've also got the properly awesome Jen Brister's Guide to Raising Twins. But first, the giant clusterfuck of democracy. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue stink. Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, our weekly look at how the shit show that is the world we live in is affecting womankind. We're sat with a steaming hot cup of coffee, ready to delve into the untrimmed news. It's hot in here, but thankfully climate change isn't a thing, so we should be okay. For fuck's sake. 
But more about President Pisslaps next week. This week, we're staying closer to home. Don't know if you've noticed, but there's a general election on Thursday. <sighs> it is the hope that almost kills you, isn't it? I've been lucky to have been out of the country for the past three weeks and arrived back to the fair city of Cambridge to discover I'd missed the leadership debate. Mm -hmm. Never mind, so did Theresa May. There were some complaints that the audience was too left-wing, which is what happens when you host an event in Cambridge. After all, when the EDL held a march there to protest the opening of a mosque, they had to ship in racists from Dagenham to bolster their numbers. Seriously, coming over here, slacking off our Muslims. (laughs) The general election is basically a two-party race between The Guardian and The Daily Mail. To me, the entire Tory campaign seems to be a collection of catchphrases. Strong and stable leadership, no deal is better than a bad deal, and of course, the non-existent magic money tree. Oh, the magic money tree. It sounds like Ina Blyton's The Magic Faraway Tree had a baby. Where a moon face, angry pixie, and Mr What's-His-Name. That's Boris Johnson... Philip Davis and almost every other fucker in that party. <laughs> Are you not voting Conservative then, Hannah? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> Women's Equality Party is contesting a number of seats around the country with leader Sophie Walker standing against the Angry Pixie in Shipley, <laughs> which did cause some debate as to whether it would actually hand that seat to that colossal dick splash. More news as it happens. I did see Corbyn and May facing questions from an audience that, if they are my peers, I'd like to throw myself off one. Apparently, I'm one of the few people not obsessed with letting nukes off like fireworks. Or obsessed with the IRA. Yeah, I did feel there were echoes of the US debates, in that Corbyn had to face the same questions he'd already answered, because apparently he hasn't already answered them, (laughs) much like Clinton and those feckin' emails... And that May, like Trump, was given an inordinate amount of credit for merely getting through a sentence without stroking out. And we all know how that election ended. Bite fist. Right, well, uh, yeah, thanks for that. On a brighter note, it's telling when even Nigel Farage and Douglas Carswell are saying that Corbyn's coming across better than May. Catchy slogans aside, the Tories don't seem to be saying very much at all. May's banging on about parity, but we've not seen any progress on the pay gap in the past seven years. And then there's the worrying new turn on social care and scratching the triple lock on pensions, which will mostly affect women because we will live longer and wind up being the carers. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to looking after all my incontinent elderly relatives before I have to go and do a day's work. Now that's what I call a 7p breakfast. Lovely stuff. Um, I have a favourite bit of a manifesto I'd like to share. Is that all right? That's... Yeah, that's that's perfect. Okay, it comes courtesy of UKIP, a party surely playing boys to men on loop behind closed doors right now. Clearly Nuttall and his cronies aren't too hot on giving money overseas, but there is a bold claim in the manifesto that the pledge not to engage in unethical trade, in quotation marks, with developing countries was a way to help them to help themselves out of poverty and to quote that even Bono has now admitted it. Mm-hmm. Splendid. What on earth do you think unethical trade means in UKIP world? Is it trade that lied and said it was at Hillsborough? (laughs) Yeah, or having to pay customs tax on your Nazi memorabilia. Yay. Talking of a world without pity, we've been watching Hulu's excellent adaptation of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, which has finally started on Channel 4. And we love it. Yes, yes we do. It's heartbreaking, bone-chilling, it feels terrifyingly relevant and is occasionally like one of the stranger threads on Mumsnet. I'll be talking about it in more depth 
next week in my guide to the summer's best television. That was the Bush Telegraph. More women's news next week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. So as part of the Bush Telegraph, we wanted to have a little canter around the uh, the week's headlines to bring to you the most sexist headline of the week. And the point of that is probably pretty self-explanatory. Uh, we'll be chatting about the preposterous double standards and nth degree of scrutiny on women in the public eye, while also celebrating the use of words and phrases that no one in the real world has ever used. For example, pins, busty, she poured herself into or she flaunted her derriere and the last one's super ironic because it's French and the Daily Mail is bang up for Brexit. So there's always plenty to choose from but I'm going to kick us off with our first offering and after that we'd really like it if you got involved in this. So the first offering is from the Mail Online and it is Please sort it out! Woman who is a size 12 but couldn't squeeze into a 16 dress at H&M pleads with the retailer to re-examine its labels, brackets and attract support from over a thousand fellow shoppers. So it's, a, it's Tuesday the 30th of May and I had to record this today because I'm pissing off on holiday tomorrow. But that is the top story on the Mail Online's website. It's almost as if we're on the brink of an election, but the male's favoured candidate is tanking in the polls. But anyway, so this isn't necessarily as sexist as many of the male's other offerings. For example, Diesel get em going, leggy Lauren Guja wears skimpy one-piece and oversized denim jacket to make a pit stop at the petrol station. Or, if you prefer, woman goes to shop wearing clothes. What I like about the H&M headline is A, that I don't have to read the story because they've done everything for me here. They have, they've given me the plot, they've given me a stat, they've even given a quote up front. So apart from the fact that I now don't have to read it, I don't have to click on it, and that is, that's what it's all about after all, what I like about it is how it's dressed itself up as a story of concern about the pressures that women face to be, you know, thin and, and, and beautiful and, and all the other things that airbrushing and, and stupidity makes us try to adhere to but what it does is it capitalizes 16 so you know that that's bad uh so you know that that is a bad size even though i believe in fact it is the average size of uh, of of women in the uk that's what i'm giving you this week but as i said we don't want to do all the work because there's only three of us and we sort of hope there's more of you so we'd like you to get in touch with us and tell us about your favorite sexist headlines of the week you can send us your suggestions via twitter at standard issue uk or via our facebook page or you can even send us a little snap on instagram if you want but we are going to draw the line at snapchat because we don't understand it if we're honest please do get in touch obviously they're not always going to be from the mail online but they're you know <laughs> there's a good chance Send them in to us and uh, and we look forward to discussing your favourite sexist headlines next week. Standard issue followers are smart, witty smashers. So if you've listened to one of our previous podcasts, you'll have no doubt already cottoned on to the fact that this one's a bit different. Don't worry, we'll still be recording our various events across the UK and putting them out as podcasts, or as we call them, gigcasts. But this new podcast magazine, uh, Podzine, uh, Magcast, whatever is our way of keeping the standard issue flame burning but in your ears that's right we're giving you hot ears i chatted to our founder sarah millican so she could explain a bit more hello thank you for joining us well clearly you should join us it's your podcast it's our podcast it's our podcast i'm excited so generous i'm excited too just in case there are people out there who don't know what standard issue is 
Could you tell us what Standard Issue is? Standard Issue is a magazine podcast, I guess now. Yep. It was originally an online magazine and it was started up as sort of an antidote to the magazines that currently exist because I'm not bothered about who is having sex with who or cross-stitching or who looks fat in what or what shape coat I should wear because I'm fat or (laughs) (laughs) if I'm even allowed to wear coats because I'm fat or how to get my beach buddy ready. I hear all of that stuff and I wondered if other people, other women would feel similarly to me. Turns out shitloads of them do yeah i think we're all sick of the magazines that are how to get your man how to keep your man how to please oh please fuck how off. to knit a man no <laughs> i am single that is tempting which magazine did you see that in would it be life size or could it just be like slottable in a book i'm so sorry oh god i was about to say i'd probably get bored but i hadn't even thought of that um i'll get back to you i'm just gonna research how rigid can wool really be though really stiff wool you'd have to get like Aaron wool or something like that or oh no my brother's called Aaron you've oh. everything <laughs> sorry um, <laughs> so that's why it was set up and it was just I wanted there to be somewhere for smart women who are interested in everything because so many subjects are completely ignored by all women's magazines. There is a big thing in society when they put out stuff that is targeted at women that they do really like to put us in boxes. And I don't think we need boxes. I think we need like a jiffy bag so we've got a bit of wiggle room. Yeah, and also they put us in those boxes because then they can sell things to those to, to us in those boxes. Absolutely. So like, hey, this lipstick's great or when do you wear white jeans never I have IBS I shit my pants yeah. <laughs> and have really heavy periods sometimes <laughs> never worn white jeans ever don't even trust myself with a white towel sometimes anyway that's a different story <laughs> uh, that's for a different podcast <laughs> I'm already I'm already bookmarking that one <laughs> I'll come back it's fine so if they're saying hey you should wear this lipstick that's because then a lipstick company will go we'll give you some money for saying that and, and I just thought why can't we just show everything be interested in everything and then the smart funny women who uh, want to read us will come and find us which they did and what i thought would happen is that advertisers would realize that women who aren't interested in lipsticks especially or just put it on their face and go out and do a normal day's work (laughs) but aren't that bothered about them also have money but it turns out I don't think that's really the case. So we try different things, try and make it financially viable. Just wanted it to sort of cover its costs, really. We set up a membership, which was so that we never wanted to make it exclusive, so that it wasn't a subscription. So we thought a membership so people could voluntarily join if they wanted. But if they couldn't afford it, they could still read the magazine. I always thought, um, as editor of Standard Issue, that what it was was if a woman had access to the internet, no matter what her finances, what emotional state, she always had a friend or, in fact, a group of friends. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why, because some people suggested subscriptions to us, but it feels very uh, sort of exclusive. And I didn't want, because there's times, you know, I've had times where I've had no money at all, and uh, as uh, many people do, and you don't want to be told that's yet another thing that you can't have. So that's why we never did the subscription. We tried the membership, which did bring in a little bit of money, but not a huge amount, because obviously for every 100,000 people that read a thing on the internet for free, one of those might contribute, you know, so the the numbers... aren't playing against sort of are playing against us but also i think money is very hard to come by on the internet generally there's a lot of uh, newspapers and magazines that i thought were doing all right seemingly aren't and are struggling or asking people for money and that sort of thing and advertising is clearly hard to get generally i think 
in all honesty, we were probably a little bit naive at the beginning. We thought yeah. if we made something really good, people would want to give us money to keep making absolutely. that thing and to get our, our demographic and to, to yeah. embrace that demographic. And advertising, particularly on the internet, just doesn't work like that. And if The Guardian is doing little begging messages for money yes. at the end of every article, then, you know, that's a sign of people struggling. But also, I think if we been willing to bend on some things we might have got a little bit money but we said no to quite a lot of things because we didn't want to we didn't want to do as we were told that's true like i remember one of the advertising people we spoke to some young lad uh, <laughs> said you can't see this but sarah just spat in a bucket <laughs> <laughs> but his face on uh, said that if we compromised and if we got rid of all of our um all of our morals and all of our principles to do with the magazine that yeah he could get us money and so we just didn't bring him back and we just wanted to do what we wanted to do and we wanted to not be controlled by all of these other things so you tell your readers that this lipstick is the best and we will give you x amount of money no we weren't willing to do that so that's why we decided to cut our cloth accordingly Yep. scale down the team, scale down the output, but still exist. It felt really important. I don't really do failure. And <laughs> <laughs> like my first, this is by the by, but on my first marriage, he said, we went to see a counsellor and the counsellor said, we have to put it down as a failed marriage. And I genuinely said, I don't really do failure. Can we not just say it was short? So I call <laughs> it my short marriage. And then hopefully this one will be my long marriage, but who knows? It felt important that it still exists because we've built up a really good community of um, readers who will hopefully become listeners and it felt especially when we announced that we were folding as an online magazine so many people were like well what do we do now because this is where we go to it was pretty overwhelming yeah it was incredible i'm really glad that we're able to continue it and also because this is more of a controllable output that we can still do all the things that we normally do still appeal to all the same people still but because we don't have to bend for anybody we can do what we want and the outgoings aren't so big that we have to then say oh we might need to do this for money we don't need to do those things so I'm very excited about what the podcast will do and that it might reach different people because I know a lot of people who listen to podcasts and maybe don't have much time to read. Like if they're driving or whatever to work, they might put a podcast don't, on. Don't drive and read, kids. No, I mean, unless it's the signs. That's a good idea because oh, otherwise you'll never get anywhere. There's always an exception that proves the rule. <laughs> <laughs> it probably just saved you from getting lost once. Um, but also I think we've had quite a few people say that they, they don't normally do podcasts but they're willing to give it a go so, so we've got that nice little uh, illustration to show people exactly how you download a podcast if you're unfamiliar with it which is great by fab louise bolter it's a new incarnation so it's uh, same what did you say same content same great content different platform different platform what can people look forward to people can look forward to all sorts of things like holidays and days off and stuff um you mean about the podcast i think you misinterpreted my question i'm not going to say willfully misinterpreted my question i think even to be honest i sometimes just look forward to the next meal sometimes when i'm eating a meal i'm planning the next one is that normal i never plan breakfast it's so boring do you not like breakfast no i don't do breakfast do you just not do it at all 
two mugs of coffee and then a potato cake. That is my routine. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say a potato. <laughs> just a potato. <laughs> a raw potato. My Irish heritage kicks in. Pile biscuits for breakfast number one. And then I have, like, guilt cereal later on. So that if somebody asked me in the street what I had for breakfast, I'd say cereal. I wish when, they'd stop asking us in the street what we've had for breakfast. When really, it was totally biscuits. They've made those breakfast biscuits now, which are just bullshit. All biscuits would be breakfast biscuits. Exactly. <laughs> put the word breakfast in front of them. I feel like I need to have a chat with Lisa Snowden because I don't think she knew that Kit Kats can be eaten like as early as 7am. If she ate a Kit Kat at 7am, she would melt. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that's the fear. But then if she melted, would she be delicious? (laughs) She looks like she would be delicious. (laughs) Let's get this finished so you can have a biscuit. (laughs) People can look forward to the same excellent content that we've had in Standard Issue, a lot of the same contributors. And also... um, three excellent members of the Standard Issue team, you Hannah, Deputy Editor, and also Jen. Uh, And I think it's going to be amazing and I can't wait to be involved. I can't wait to listen as well. The one thing I loved, it was quite selfish when I set up Standard Issue because it was just, I just wanted something to read on the train (laughs) that wasn't going to make me cry or feel shit about my life and we created that. And now I'm like well maybe we could do a podcast that does that and then I can listen to it in the car so I'm just kind of I keep inventing things that I want that's a good thing to do though isn't it absolutely and you know well done for being one of the only women I know who put her money where her mouth is and well done you for listening in person in your car or in the bath or having a poo they could be doing anything oh my god I love that people just having some sort of crazy liquid shit but with us in their ears (laughs) (laughs) oh and now I bet they're blushing because now they think we can see them standard issue for all women last week I went to meet our brilliant film reviewers Yosra Osman and Day Moiby to talk about the year in cinema so far as they are both women of colour I asked them whether it was too soon to suggest that 2017 might be a turning point for films focusing on the black experience. Here's what they had to say. Not quite, no, actually. Um, I mean, we've obviously had a great year. I mean, we look at something like the Oscars, which which I don't think is, you know, the benchmark of how we can judge achievements, etc. However, it is good to see a film like... Moonlight, which I absolutely adored, and I will tell people every single day how much I adored Moonlight. What I think is particularly good about 2017 and the films that we have seen recently in terms of black identity is that we are moving away from typical representation, we are moving away from certain stereotypes. We're starting to, there's still a really long way to go. It is really nice to see films being recognised in the mainstream that are not concerning black people being slaves or maids. And as much as I love films like The Help and 12 Years a Slave, which I think were great cinematic works, there were, there were certain ways that, that, that black people were being portrayed. And I think it's really good that we explore the black identity in a way which is not just stereotypical, which is not just this is how it is to be a black person, because the point is our identity is as varied as anybody's identity. And I think it's really great to start seeing films that explore this and also celebrate this. Yeah, I agree with you on all those points. But I also think that this this could easily just be a trend, you know? There's, like, a trend in cinema of, like, feminist films, and this is, like, everyone's talking about it, and it's someone trying to make space 
for an understanding of the paradigm of what it means to be black. You have, like, I was reading say, someone saying that James Baldwin is really angry. I don't think he's angry. I think he's passionate. I think, how can you not be passionate about it? Because it's, you're seeing, I, I get upset when I think about little black girls who don't think of themselves as beautiful because there's no one representing them. You know, so as much as this is a good year, film. This is just the beginning. And no one actually realizes that we just need to start talking about it. And actually, it doesn't need to be a case of black films because I don't think it has anything to do with it. For instance, The Fits, which was just a film about an adolescent black girl growing up. And it has nothing to do with her being black. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's whether the question of people feel like they can relate. And it's like, it's like a completely different film. It's like, it's not. It's just people being people. It's showing the human experience. And I think, like, the biggest question is why in all the different films which you get in Hollywood, why it's so groundbreaking, and in 2017, it's so groundbreaking to show an avant-garde black experience or an abstract black experience other than just the thug or the funny girl, you know? I definitely agree with that. I think there's been a lot of hype about isn't it great that we're seeing, you know, these, and it is great, you know, that we're seeing these films that develop further an exploration of black identity, but you know, it is just identity. And I, I think this with representation for any minority or, or anyone, it, it's just about we shouldn't be unusual. It should just be part of the norm. And I think the point exactly. you made about trends is totally correct because this should just be the norm. This should just be what's happening <laughs> yeah. all yeah. the time. You know? yeah. And we shouldn't be talking about it. That's yeah. the bit which is like, well, why do we have to talk about it? Why... Why is it so groundbreaking that Aziz Azari can be an Asian... Like, he had to make his own show to have a role in which he could just be an Asian man being who he is. Why can't he just be Aziz Azari? Why is he going to have to be typecast as this, you know? So I think as much as we're talking about diversity for black cinema, I think we just need to start talking about having a variety of roles for everyone because there's a mixture of people in the world with so many different things going on, but the only person who seems to have multiplicity in their existence in culture seems to be white people, which is unfair. I think television is is very interesting because I feel like television is probably making greater strides in terms of it just being a bit more normal to be more diverse. I mean, there are some really great things. Me and Day in particular have been talking about, um, for example, Insecure, which is a programme on HBO by Issa Rae, who is a really amazing writer, director. You know, she's also in the show... She started out on YouTube making a TV series called Awkward Black Girl, which I absolutely loved. It's really, I, and I, could, I related to it so, <laughs> so much. Good. It's it's so just, good. So if anybody, you, know, you don't have to be awkward or black or whatever to watch it, just watch it. It's brilliant. And she's made her own way. She's made the show. She got talking to HBO executives. She's now doing this show on HBO, which has done really, really well. And anybody can watch it. And I think it comes down to this term of something being relatable. The thing is, I feel like you don't have to relate to something on a cultural scale, really. You can watch anything about anyone from any background and, and appreciate it. And, and I think in TV, we're doing, we're working towards that a bit more. With Insecure, it's the question of talking about the female black experience. It's people thought like they couldn't relate to it. And it's because like, the black experience is so far as the other. You know, is that it's like, oh, we, we don't even know if she's going to be funny or I can't relate to her because all the characters are black. But it's like, like Issa Rae said, it's really interesting. It's like, but I watch, like, cover your enthusiasm yeah. and I'm not exactly. an old Exactly, yeah. And it's, that's the big of, like, culture. And even, and the really interesting thing is that I feel like sometimes 
black people hold these understandings as well that it's like I can relate to this but I can't really relate to that and in Atlanta which is even more beautiful showing the very different understandings and the complex intellectual thought which Moonlight does as well about what it means to be black other than just what you're sold just like the characters surprise each other just as you your friends surprise each other and the problem with mainstream Hollywood and all the characters which we've been given and this is besides race or any case or female it's the case of it's all predictable everyone has been is a box character in a box life in a box world where you can only be this you know so in Insecure or in Atlanta where you're, you're always thrown off you know you're in this world where you're like is this really happening which is what life is they're very complex characters that's what makes them real and it's so refreshing to see characters like this portrayed on screen because it's just people that like I said really anyone can relate to because we all have these complexities that's what makes us us it just takes good writing because in the question of someone if someone wanted to write it wouldn't matter if I was black it wouldn't matter if I was white you know it's, there's the colloquialisms which you're trying to create a relatable character yeah. it really doesn't matter and that's that's the key point is when it doesn't matter why is it so far off that if it was going to be uh, like a, a female role done by a black woman or a black woman playing a female lead role it's like now it's a completely different film it's yeah. like, no, it's no, it's not. It's film, you know, it's oh, she's like this, but she's black. Like, how does that change the film? Why are we still in this place where it's like, of talking about identity, of how how huge it plays on the fact of what the character is actually like? But when you're actually relating and understanding yourself, you don't think I am black. I only realize I am black by how the world experiences me. As my individual, I am completely fine. And, then, and that's the great thing about cinema is making space and freedom for black bodies to be able to move around. Because as much as it's like, yeah, I'm a free individual, in culture, I am not free. So people who are interacting with me and have no idea what it's like to live in my experience, they see a small portion of black identity and then this is how they relate to me. You know, so you can't underestimate the power of culture, but it's also understanding like, why are we still, why are we still bowing down culture as if it should make leniences for us. We're the ones who should be saying, demanding that it reflect what we are. I think Hidden Figures is a really great example because I remember when I watched Hidden Figures and I just thought, why do I not know this story? Why do I not know about these incredible women? No matter, you know, who they are, whatever their background is, just take their stories individually. They're great people to look at they achieved really great things because who's telling the stories why are we designed to see these stories on screen and this is why i know we're saying why are we talking about this why do we keep talking about this but we we do need to talk about this because the point is we may be conditioned to see things from a certain perspective through a certain lens and that's why it's really great that and hopefully it isn't just a trend, but that's re- that's why it's really great to see these stories coming out that that challenge this, that, that challenge everything that you know we know at the moment. It's it's just really refreshing. Yeah, I watched it in figures, and I, I I got a little bit emotional in some parts, and it was just, and I got emotional because it's just like, wow, like these stories deserve to be told. Yeah. I agree with you when you say that it's like we still need to talk about it because of the limited picture of what we're receiving but I, I wonder if the question is can we expect culture to do do this for us entirely you know because if we are not questioning what we've been given then how can we expect a film to do it because someone can still go and see Moonlight but still have their understanding and still stick to that 
Yeah, how much can a film really do if we're not questioning something beforehand? I think the question about perceptions and about how we look at things just in, in general society, I mean, it does, it does go a lot deeper than, you know, film, TV, etc. But I do think that in some ways film can be a great platform because the response I've seen to certain films like Moonlight, Hidden Figures, Loving, which actually is a, is a really great example as well, it is starting and it, you know it's just a little bubble it's, it's not a massive step but it, it is starting to challenge perceptions and I think any mechanism any tool that we have to do that is a really important tool so I, I, I do want to be quite positive and say it is important that these sort of things are really starting to challenge the, the, the perceptions that we may have Standard issue for all women. Uh, hello, my name's Jen Brister. I'm a stand-up comedian and the other mother. Um, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, I am basically not the biological mum of my kids, but the non-biological mum. And uh, yeah, that is how we refer to each other at home. Like we're boxes of detergent. Yeah, my girlfriend's Purcell and I'm Daz. That's just how we do. Anyway, look, never mind. Um, so that's what uh, I'm going to talk to you about. Because um, it is a bit different being the other mum. There are certain awkward conversations that you're going to find yourself in that you wouldn't if you were the biological mum. And um, yeah, it, like when I'm out and about, I guess people will assume that I'm, you know, my kid's only mum, my two boys. And usually that's fine by me, but right after they were born, it was a bit tricky because the difficulty always comes when people ask questions like, uh, was it a difficult birth? Are you breastfeeding? Does your husband help with the night feeds? And uh, the answer to all of those questions is, of course, kindly bog off. No, if they're not, I wouldn't say that. Um, I mean, to be fair, I usually just stare blankly into the middle distance whilst gesticulating around my crotch area uh they didn't come out of here they came out of someone else's <laughs> can we be friends no okay bye to be fair it's not like anyone really cares because um my girlfriend and I we live in uh, Brighton which uh, as we know is a place that uh, prides itself on its alternative genderqueer, trans-focused, vegan, green-voting, allotment-loving, feminist-led, gay-loving, organic, muesli-munching credentials, yeah? We didn't move here by accident. So uh, I don't really understand why I've got a problem and why it's awkward for me. It's just, I suppose, when you're the other mum, you feel like a bit of a fraud sometimes. I mean, there are certain situations where I'm just kind of acutely aware that I didn't grow my kids, you know? They didn't hang out in my uterus for nine months. I didn't go through any of the problems my partner did, like fainting episodes in my second trimester, carpal tunnel syndrome in my third trimester, as well as swollen ankles, painful tits, and a bladder squeezed to the size of a fun-sized Milky Way. And that's just the plus stuff, yeah? And, and also that whole thing of having nine months with no booze, what a nightmare. People, 
I suppose people have questions and I, and I do understand that because I know that our family unit isn't, I guess, the, the norm. And, uh, you know, one of the questions I've always got asked the most since the arrival of my two boys, and it is this, Jen, can I ask how you came to the decision that you'd be happy to be the non-biological mum? You didn't want to be the biological mother. And, uh, of course, I thought about it for a really long time. Um, but the reason I think I was happy to be the non-biological mum is because I'm not fucking stupid. Sorry, why would I do it when I get someone else to do it? Mental. Um, also, you get asked stupid questions. I mean, like, I genuinely, somebody's asked me this. So who's the dad in this situation? Like, well, I think it's pretty obvious that there is no dad in this situation. You know, there are only two mums in this situation. Yeah, but who's going to teach the boys to be men? What? Well, sorry, mate. Calm down. We bought a couple of box sets of Top Gear, so I think we've uh, we've nailed that one, thanks. What if you make your kids gay? Oh, that, what, a, what a pertinent question. Well, fingers crossed we do, yeah? Because we only dress our boys in gold lame onesies and only let them listen to show tunes whilst watching Xanadu. So, you know, fingers crossed, mate. The truth is, um, you know, like like any parents, my girlfriend and I, just we're we're doing the same things. We're not doing them better or differently. We're we're just, you know, like everyone else, every other parent on the planet, we're completely clueless. I'm not going to lie to you. Most of our parenting skills have been taught to us from Google. We spend half our lives asking each other questions we know the other one has no idea how to answer. Like, you know, when are they supposed to start walking? Are there poos? supposed to be as big as this you know why won't he stop crying my boys have been on this planet for two and a half years and I've learned a lot the main thing being that being a mum does not begin and end with conception pregnancy or even birth being a parent begins the day you're handed a brand new baby human and told not only is he or she yours but that you'll be responsible for them till the day you die yeah I know what the what We're two and a half years in, and the journey has only just begun. Jesus Christ, help me. Hello, I'm Jen Offord, and this is Jenny Off The Blocks. That's a title just uh, incidentally gifted to me by my friend John Wheatley, just to give him proper credit. I'm not that clever, I didn't think of it. I'll be talking to you about sport on this podcast, because women do that as well, just for information. And we're not even just talking about rollerblading in white shorts once a month, but, you know, we could be if you want, so feel free to make a suggestion. Because this is our first ever episode, I thought I'd just ease you in gently with a rundown of what to expect in the world of women's sports this summer. First up, we have the Diamond League Athletics, which is happening all over the world, but, of course, that includes the anniversary games at the London Olympic Stadium. Now, from what I can gather, the uh, anniversary game seems to be basically uh, an opportunity for us all to remember a better time back in 2012, when we welcomed all sorts of foreigners into the country, and perhaps coincidentally, we generally won at life for two glorious weeks. So that's going to be on July the 9th, and the big name to watch out for there is probably Laura Muir, who's hoping to beat shoeless aggressor Zola Bud's British mile record of 4 minutes 17 seconds, which is two seconds off her own personal best. A couple of weeks later, in that there London, you can also check out the World Championships, which start on August the 4th at the very same venue. But prior to that, there'll be the British Championships and the World Championship Trials, which are in Birmingham in case a day out at the Stratford-Westfield 
doesn't float your boat. Because it's summer, all of the cricket is going on. But not just any cricket, there's a Cricket World Cup. We're ranked, I think, second in the world just after Australia, and you'd like to think that would mean we'd be in with a decent shot at it. But, I mean, judging by men's cricket, it doesn't always stand to reason that people thinking you're good means you are good. And again, we draw upon uh, the uh, history of the English football team, then, well, you know. So... That's happening here in the UK anyway, and that will be on in Leicester, Derby, Taunton and Bristol, so it's a really good opportunity to get out and watch some women's sport live, and even if you don't really like cricket, which I'll be honest with you, I don't, it's actually quite a nice day out, you get to drink gins and tins and, you know, just sort of picnic sausage, that kind of thing. After that, we'll have the Kia Super League, which is a fairly new professional league for women, which gets underway in August. In cycling, the UCI Women's World Tour is already going on and next week the final stage will get underway in Daventry, no less. So that's on June the 7th and that will be going through all sorts of glamorous locations like Stoke-on-Trent and Chesterfield, ending up again in London. There's the UCI Paracycling World Cup starting on June the 30th where we'd normally expect to see Dame Sarah Story bossing it but unfortunately she's already announced that she doesn't expect to compete this time because she's basically focusing on Tokyo 2020 now which is incredible when you think about the number of Paralympics that she's competed in. The BMX World Championships have been hosted in the US this year and back in London at the end of the summer there is the Ride London Classic and I'm sure there is a better way of saying that and a slightly less Essex way of saying that too and that's a route which, I mean, I don't want to show off but I have actually completed it twice myself so, you know, it's pretty easy really. It's not, I did it really slowly. Anyway, um, there's also some downhill mountain biking going on in the World Cup series. It's worth checking out for our very own Rachel Atherton, who's the reigning world champion, and in fact the four times world champion, and she also won the opening round back in April. If you're missing the football over the summer and you want to be distracted from endless rumours about which team's going to sign Kylian Mbappe for 90 squillion quid this summer, then behold... For there is a European Championship, a.k.a. the Euros, in the Netherlands this summer. And our women's team are actually pretty good. So if you're used to watching the England men's team, then I can understand why you would feel such such reluctance to engage in this. But the women's team are actually pretty good. Certainly if you've read Standard Issue, you might have noticed that I've been wanging on about them quite a lot. So the good news is that the England and Scotland matches and, in inverted commas, at least one semi-final, it's going to make me do a little bit of a sigh there, are going to be shown by Channel 4, who've apparently just twigged that hummus eaters also love equality. So you might remember also last summer in the Rio Olympics getting a bit excited about our ladies' hockey team who won a gold medal after, I would say, battling almost to the death against the Netherlands. And the Dutch team are coming back for another crack at that. Well, not the Olympic medal, obviously, because it's not the Olympics. But another another crack at our team, which is next week at the Olympic Park. And just when you thought there couldn't be more World Cups, you're actually wrong. The Women's Rugby World Cup also kicks off on August the 9th, and that's happening in Dublin and Belfast. And with England having won the Six Nations earlier this year, we're going to have pretty high hopes for them. And finally, because yes, I did do this in alphabetical order, thanks for noticing, there's tennis. And we're literally in the thick of the French Open at the minute. 
because someone has to edit this and it's not live, I'm not really sure what I can say about that without it becoming immediately redundant because in the women's game there, there really are no safe bets and especially now that Serena Williams and her baby are out of the competition. But that in itself presents a huge opportunity for any number of players like Joe Conta, for example. So it will be interesting to see what happens there. And with Wimbledon coming up, there's even more tennis going on, but, I mean, that's on July the 3rd, and I'll be wanging on about that in a bit more detail closer to the time. Incidentally, it's also worth saying that all of this information, and more, because there are more sports than this, it, it probably won't surprise you to learn, all of the information is available online at themixzone.co.uk, which is courtesy of the very brilliant Women's Sports Trust who are doing brilliant things to raise the profile of women's sports. That's about it from me, and uh, we'll be back again next week with more tales, issues, stuff about women's sport. Cheers. Standard Issue for all women. Hi guys, and welcome to a section of the show we're calling Dunleavy Does Disney. And I'm looking at Dunleavy right now, and I have one question. What is it? Okay, so I'm going to be watching all the Disney films. During the war, I think, because people were off doing the war, they did lots of things that were like a bit of Goofy and a bit of Mickey Mouse, and they put it out as a full-length feature film. Okay. I'm not going to watch that shit. Okay. Uh, and also, nothing that's like live-action mixed with animation. I'm just going for full-on Disney animation films, which I reckon, if I watch at the rate of one a week... I think it'll only take me three to four months before I'm ready to just full-on walk into traffic. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. Mickey Mouse isn't in any of those, is he? I think he is in the ones that made in the 40s. No, but not in the ones you're going to watch. No. God, no. Mickey Mouse is the most annoying Disney character ever. Yeah, and there sure. are some fucking tedious princesses to get through. That, that, oh, yeah, there will be. In Sweet Baby Jesus' name, why would you do that to yourself? I don't know. We're about to drown in promotion as the DVD launch of the live-action version of Beauty and the Beast is coming up. Um, when it was released in the cinema earlier in the year, there was a huge amount of debate about the character of Belle. Which is played by Emma Watson. She is. Yeah. And um, a lot of debate about whether or not Belle is quite the feminist character that she has recently received praise for being. Oh, she's supposed to be quite feminist. Well, yeah, I mean, in that she does other things other than sing at birds. It's quick, she it's she reads books, for example. What? As a woman? As a woman. So it's something that's actually, she's been previously described as being quite a feminist character. And I think it, that whole conversation really highlights the problem that you have when you attempt to update fairy tales. Because... They are intrinsically sexist. And recorded by men. The guys who wrote down fairy tales were guys. Yeah, also the Bible. Um, <laughs> Is that a fairy tale? <laughs> well, that's, that's a different podcast for right. a different time. Dunleavy does Deuteronomy is coming up after this. <laughs> The truth is, you can make Belle as admirable a character as you like. You know, she can be a scientific genius who wants to be France's first female president. But if the denouement remains the same, which is that she gets married to a guy she has just met who can barely read... Classic Disney. You are giving out somewhat mixed messages to young girls there. And I thought, you know, if Disney are now rifling through their back catalogue for things to make live-action versions... Perhaps it was an opportunity for Standard Issue to rifle through Disney's back catalogue and perhaps 
point out which ones might not be so appropriate for a remake after all. Are you at all concerned of what Walt Disney's cryogenic head might think of your reviews? It's a constant worry. I can tell. It's keeping me up at night. There's fear in her eyes, wouldn't you agree, Jen? Yeah. I would agree, yes. Tell us about Beauty and the Beast. Okay, well, I have to say now that in spite of everything I've just said... Yeah. You know, there are huge chunks of Beauty and the Beast that are straight up, like, magic. There's a singing candle, mate. There we go. I mean, for huge chunks of it, it's probably the best film that Disney's ever made, I think. Joan is looking sceptical already. She is. I just think there's, like, you know, singing shit in all manner of Disney films. Well, I think at the same time that there's stuff going on that, that, like I say, that is, like, proper magic, at the same time you've got a hostage falling in love with her captor, you know, having just been taught the lesson that looks don't matter, despite the fact that she's possibly the person in this film least in need of learning the lesson that looks don't matter it's a tale as old as time mate disney mansplaining bastards (laughs) i think i think actually my attitude towards beauty and the beast is actually my attitude towards disney as a whole it's kind of a microcosm of it in that i am a naturally cynical person but even i sometimes struggle to stay cynical in the face of overwhelming charm and i think beauty and the beast does have that I don't know if I mentioned the singing candle but he is pretty charming I'd like to know more about the charm other than the singing candle okay well all I can say is I went to Disneyland Paris recently and as I'm sure you probably imagine I really struggled to get on board with Disneyland Paris it felt really cynical really impersonal really really drab there were children there that were like literally euphoric it was like being in a 90s rave they were literally euphoric on Frozen and it's it's hard not to look at that and think you know anything that makes anybody in these horrible times anything that makes anybody that happy there has to be something good about it I don't know if you've seen a Trump rally <laughs> yeah there's nothing good and about I that and I think there are parts of you in the Beast that like I say are relentlessly charming Jen the Be Our Guest scene where they all sing and dance around before dinner is just glorious and uh, we do singing candle yeah I mean that is the the best time for a singing candle I'll agree absolutely yeah. right the scene down the boozer when everyone's singing about how great Gaston is he's a prick though yeah he is a prick you'd totally date him absolutely I would to be fair he's quite handsome yeah he is absolutely a prick but that whole that whole song <laughs> acknowledges that he's a prick and therefore it is really funny I don't remember that but I was yeah. nine probably when I watched and it and also it is, as you know on Tinder if they acknowledge that they're a prick from the outside oh, it just makes me want them more yeah yeah the mob song is the yeah. scene where all the villagers storm the castle at Pitch the end, off. led yeah. by Gaston. Yeah. That is like the best lamest song not in lame <laughs> Huge surprise, I don't like the ballad, but it at least has the good grace to be sung by Angela Lansbury. Oh, Angela, oh, wait a minute, we've got dissent in the ranks, guys. She's not good at singing, though. Oh, if sh- we're, no, sh- look, sh- come shut on. your... Uh, well, who who invited her? Who invited her? You are not my guest. There is actually a lot wrong with the plot of Beauty and the Beast, and I don't just mean the kind of sexist element. And I need to be clear, like, but if you put this film under any level of scrutiny, right? Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever. Okay. And two things to be clear here. I am aware that it is a film designed for children. It's a film designed for children, yeah. Hannah. And secondly, I'm aware that not everybody feels as strongly about the misuse of artistic licence as I do really quite grumpy uh, plot holes it. really 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 bother me I, like, I had to stop watching The Walking Dead 
because although I can suspend disbelief enough to believe that the dead might rise and start feeding on the living... I mean, it's a possibility. Yeah, I cannot watch The Walking Dead without thinking... Who's mowing all those fucking lawns? Are they still pristine? Because they're still pristine, like, two and a half years after. And I can't... I cannot... Uh, it's, honestly, to be clear, I am the sort of person that can ruin some fantasy dirty talk with the words, but our washing machine isn't broken. <laughs> that is, like, a weird mental image that I never, ever wanted in my head, but thank you. There we go. Most of my problem is, like, the problem is with the beast story. So he's been reduced to the sorry state he's in now. He's handsome as a beast, though. He's he got looks lovely a bit fur. like Kush from EastEnders. I don't watch EastEnders. Look it up. Sure. Okay, Google that later, guys. Okay, but he so he looks like that as a result of this curse that's been explained to, that gets explained to us right at the start of the film. Um, what happens is he rejects the gift of a rose off this old hag who knocks on his door. I've got to say, I was wondering when there would be an old hag. There generally classic is classic Disney right? trope, yeah. Right? So, so he rejects the, the gift and she curses him for not realising that beauty is only skin deep. And we are told that this happened years ago. That's non-specific, years ago. If you're looking for a time limit on this, and I fucking was, right? <laughs> there she is. Lumiere, Lumiere says, or Lumiere says, in, the, in Be Our Guest, he says... Ten years we've been rusting. It's not that long. Right. But no, at the I... same time, at the same time, we're being told that his 21st birthday is approaching. He was, right? he was a little kid. So he was like ten when this happened. That's fucking harsh. I was an absolute prick when I was ten. Yeah. And it doesn't really fit with the picture, right, that's painted at the front of a prince who wanted for nothing. Because I don't know what's gone wrong in a ten-year-old's life that it's him that ends up answering the castle door Mate. in the middle of the night to some ruined old hag. Like, where are his parents? Where's the butler? Where's the butler? Precisely, right? And who the fuck is this beautiful enchantress who's visiting prepubescent boys in the middle of the night using ironic punishment to treat them lesson? Well, I'm guessing in the live version she's played by Kevin Spacey. Oh. oh. Does anyone know where Baron Lim Trump is? Let's consider the possibility that Lumiere's wrong and it's been less than ten years. He is a singing candle. Yeah, he is a singing candle. Because, right, how old is Chip supposed to be, right? Surely Five. Chip is less than ten, right? So was he conceived and born as a cup? Right? Yeah, I mean, his mum's a kettle. Right, no, because, I mean, to be honest... She's a teapot. teapot. Yeah, she's a teapot, right? <laughs> so did she, modern. Did she conceive, right, because that, to be fair, would go some way to explaining how Mrs Potts, a woman who is surely 70, has given birth to a five-year-old child. So let's go back, let's go back to the rose, right? Why is everybody watching the petals of the rose drop so anxiously? Because the curse is going to become lifelong... Right? when the last petal drops, which will be on the night of his 21st birthday. Surely somebody knows when the fuck that is. They right? used to use roses as calendars. Right? To me, the biggest narrative hole is that the whole film tries to compress the plot of the fairy tale, which actually takes place over a number of months. It tries to compress it into just a few days. So it leads to these crazy scenes where Belle returns to her father's cottage, right, and he's all up for going back and taking revenge on the beast who's imprisoned his daughter. Like, he's a pensioner as well. Yeah, he's a pensioner. Yeah. And she says, but father, he's changed. Right? 
this has happened this change has happened right I don't think her dad's actually had time to change his underpants in the time between her being taken hostage and this happening he is very right? old it would take a while to change tell it to the fucking judge love <laughs> <laughs> he's changed can't it, honestly this film completely brushes off the fact and I think that's my major problem with it is that she was being held captive against her will it brushes that off with a sort of commitment you rarely see outside of seven brides for seven brothers and at least they had a whole winter to get stockholm syndrome bell gets it instantly like that i mean i don't know if that's changed in the live action version to give it credit credit it might have but in the animated version it kind of sucks i've got a really like we've moved on but i've got a question does anyone know who chip's dad is if he was born within the period of time. Can you imagine that his dad is actually a real cop, not a person, sent a cop, and his dad is now a cop? Oh, fucking hell. What? I mean, does he grow up to be a mug? <laughs> Another good question. Hey. Did Angela Lansby start life as a cop yeah. and grow into a teapot? Did she fuck a saucer? I think she did. I mean, clearly, I think the, the thing with Beauty and the Beast is, you know, I'm not the market audience here. Really? <laughs> but I, think, I feel like it's important to point out that once upon a time, I actually was. That's true. The target audience. I um, do you find that hard. To and think? I actually have a really, really, really strong memory about Beauty and the Beast, as in the fairy tale, when um, which was read to me as a child, um, which is a. Uh, yeah, I think Hannah's crying. Was, was that a tear? No, it wasn't. It was me actually thinking, I can't believe I'm about to share this story, but fucking hell. Okay, because to me, when I read the story, the, 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 the takeaway message for me was that this was literally the worst possible thing that could happen to a girl. I was actually scared. I was, I was so scared to the degree that... God, I was such a weird child. <laughs> to agree that. In the, in, the, in the version of the story that was read to me, what actually happens was that the dad takes a rose from the beast's garden and the beast gets very angry and he follows him home and he decides to take away the thing that was most precious to the dad. And the way he gauges the thing that was most precious to the dad is he follows him home and he watches who the first person to welcome the father home to the house is, and it happens to be Belle. Mm-hmm. Right. My dad used to work on a building site, and he was quite often all over the country, and quite often he would only come home at the weekends. And as a result of reading Beauty and the Beast, I actively avoided being the first person to greet my dad Aww. when he came home from work on a Friday night for years. No, like seriously, years and years, just in case I ended up being locked in a castle as a result of it because it was literally my worst nightmare or I don't know whatever the 1970s equivalent was he'd gone you know he'd gone and filled up with petrol and forgotten his wallet and I now belong to a man on the M6 <laughs> or whatever how many but, SO tokens were yeah. Adam Levy so yeah bearing that in mind Beauty and the Beast's end is never going to please me you know unless somebody in the future makes a version where you know at the end she shakes his hand and says I'm off into railing you probably need to go to Ikea because all your furniture is now people I think I've deciphered that you're not keen on this film um, but I've also worked out where Sting got the idea for every breath you take <laughs> uh, so that's a bonus what score are we going to give Beauty um, and the Beast I'm going to give it three guilty feminists out of five Dunleavy absolutely did Disney and I want to know what Disney you're going to did next Next, I am actually going to watch a film that I've never watched before. Go on. I'm going to watch The Lion King. Have you never seen The Lion King I've never seen The Lion King. 
Oh. Jen loves The Lion King. We all love The Lion King. One of my favourites. I'll never not cry. Standard issue for all women. Thanks for listening to our first podcast. We'll be back next week with more views, news and quite possibly hullabaloos. I'll also be talking to comedian Kate McCabe about what we're all hoping might be the end of the Trump presidency. Plus, we'll also be looking at the summer's best TV. In the meanwhile, you can busy yourself by buying a ticket for one of our upcoming live events. We've got some great guests booked, including Olivia Coleman, Mira Sayal and Janet Street Porter. Don't forget to vote. And if you're staying up to watch the election results, I'll be joining you on Twitter. Grab yourself a cushion and we can scream into it together. Our music was composed and recorded by Barry Hilton, all rights reserved. A big thanks to David Young, Mary Young and John Clare for their help with the stings. We have an archive full to brimming with eight articles over at standardissuemagazine.com and Sarah's got a whole section of her website devoted to us. As Hannah said, we also have various In Conversation events coming up and loads more of these planned across the country, not just in London. So please do keep an eye on our events page, which you'll find at sarahmillican.com forward slash standard hyphen issue. We would bloody love to hear from you and you can write to us at mailbag at standardissuemagazine.com Follow us on Twitter at Standard Issue UK or find us on Facebook and Instagram. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes and Podomatic. Stay frosty, champs, and don't forget to vote.